0: Pray for yourselves and then also for these people who are being baptized here today. So let's just lift our hearts up before the Lord this afternoon. Father, we thank you so much for your presence in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your tangible presence here today, Lord. And Lord, that we get to sit in your house, sit under the ministry of your word, and we get to encounter you, Father. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that as we meet with you and as we encounter you, Lord, that there would be an increasing transformation, that as we gaze upon Jesus and behold Jesus, that we become more like him, Lord. And Lord, we want to lift up every single member of the baptism candidates today. Why don't you just stretch your hands forward to them? Lord, we thank you for this special day for them, Lord. Lord, we thank you that today they are making a decision and a commitment to walk forward with you. And it's a correct response to their decision to call you their Lord and Savior. And Lord, we ask today, Father, as they enter the waters of baptism, that they leave behind the things of the old life and they come alive to the new things in Christ Jesus. Lord, that their control of sin would be broken off their lives. Lord Jesus, that they'll be able to walk increasingly in the freedom of the kingdom of God as their minds are renewed according to your purposes. Lord, we thank you for training them in your grace. We thank you for equipping them with the the, the skills that they need in you to walk free from sin. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that today, Father, there's a powerful spiritual dynamic to their public baptism. Lord, that as they get baptized, Lord Jesus, that there be a real breaking of controlling powers in their lives, where there has been addictions, where there has been long-time hurts, where there has been brokenness. Lord Jesus, we thank you that this is the day when they begin to enter into the fullness of the kingdom of God. And Lord Jesus, we thank you, Father, that life will never be the same for them again, Lord Jesus. Lord, that as they rise up out of the waters of baptism, that they would be filled with power, filled with the Holy Spirit, and that they would be able to walk forward in a way which brings glory and honor to Jesus. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for drawing near to them, for uh, being a key and central part of their life as they walk on with you. And Lord, that they would know you, that hear your voice, that they would know how to pray, that they'd know how to seek your face. In Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you, Father, for the ministry of the word today, Lord. Lord, we ask that you speak to our hearts. Lord, that you begin to highlight and unfold and unpack areas where we can begin to walk more fully in the covenant that you have laid out before us, Lord, in a way which brings you much glory and much honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a big praise offering. Fantastic. You can go ahead and take your seats. Well, we are... Um, celebrating baptisms today. Have any of you come in to support a friend being baptized this afternoon? Wow, wonderful to see all of you here today. Fantastic. And we do hope you enjoy the service, your time with us, and we look forward to meeting you later on just after the service when you're receiving your friends and family members back to you after their baptism. We are coming to the end of a series today on relationships. Oh. But there's still message five. We're still... uh, got some more, to, more way to go, and I'm sure we'll be coming back to this issue of relationships again and again. Um, but let me just, uh, again, do a quick recap for us today. We've been exploring relationship and specifically building towards a successful marriage relationship. And I know that we've been preaching in sections. So we started out for the singles and then how to get into a relationship, then a word for the men, a word for the women, and today how to reconnect and rebuild a relationship when things go wrong. And that's in the context of relationship, not necessarily going back to a previous one, um, but how to build when things go wrong in terms of arguments in your current relationship. Each discrete message had a specific set of topics that we covered. And so if you haven't been um, with us up until this point, please, please, please go back and review. I've covered a lot of ground in these four or five weeks. And so I probably have said something to the question that you have in that time. We also will be making a time at the end of today's session. I'll try and keep it short. It's always a fingers crossed promise, that one. But um, try to keep it short so that we have five or 10 minutes um, for questions at the end before we come to the baptisms. So we've been looking at how to love God while we're single, how to manage our freedoms in God's grace, then how do we manage our freedoms when we begin to walk in relationship with somebody else? How do we begin to take our roles and responsibilities seriously as men and as women? And just in that statement, you probably pick up that we endorse a complementarian view where we believe that there are specific roles for men and women to, be full, to fulfill, but that there is an incredible position for both in the kingdom of God in terms of God's creation order and society. If you hold to a more egalitarian view, that you uh, believe that, every, but that women should be able to do everything that men should and maybe even vice versa, um, that's fine. As long as you've considered the foundation and motivations behind your argument and you know why you want to take that position. But today we're going to be looking at this idea of how do we rebuild a relationship after an argument, after a disagreement, a conflict. Um, And so I want to begin by asking this this question. Ask yourself seriously, how do you resolve your problems? Are you somebody that wants to go away when something goes wrong in a relationship? You want to run away and you want to get hours or days weeks on your own in order to be able to figure things out, have a think, sort your mind out and then maybe come back and fix things? Or you're the sort of person that works through a relationship um, in real time when things go wrong and you're able to be um, clear, maybe in the third or fourth instance, the first instance, you probably say things wrong, but in the second or third or fourth instance, able to express your emotion, express what's going on for you, express how you're feeling because that begins to set an important understanding on your part of what type of a person you are and the value that you hold um, in relationships in your your psyche and in your value set. And so today, we're going to be looking at some skills which all of us as a generation, I think, really need to learn to live. And that is to live out of a revelation of what covenant relationship looks like. Um, And we can apply this to all of our relationships, not just the romantic or marriage relationship that you're building for now or in at the moment. And really, I want to challenge you first up with this statement. When we are looking at how we resolve conflict, when we are looking at how we begin to keep relationship in the middle of difficulty, I want to say to you that this actually is a measure of your obedience to the new covenant. It's a measure of your obedience to the challenge of the Lord to love one another, to forgive one another, to seek relationship with one another. That is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In John thirteen thirty four, it says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now the reality is we're all human. I hope. Now you, by virtue of that, are gonna be falling out with one another. The very nature of humanity in personality, in character, in the brokenness of our experience, means that we are bound to experience friction or even explosions from time to time when we encounter other people. And it's one of those things that we need begin to need to work through because the issue is sometimes. Those conflicts are necessary. Sometimes those conflicts simply flow out of brokenness in our hearts and in our lives, which we need to bring before the Lord and deal with in a meaningful way. And that's part of the journey of faith. That's part of the journey of Christianity. And one of the interesting things as an individual you'll find, and then specifically as you begin to move into relationship, is that when you involve God in your relationship, things are actually very challenging because God is interested in healing, restoring, highlighting issues for you, exposing issues that you aren't willing to deal with. He's, willing, he's aiming to do that through relationship. And he does that in such a way that the walk that you have with another person and his involvement brings you to a place where you're willing to leave behind the things of the flesh and the things that you've struggled with and move on more fully into being Christ-like. I'd go so so far as to say if you're building a relationship that if you've not had a difficult conversation or even a bust up and had a big argument, then either one of two things. You're either saints of the highest order who are perfect in every way and should already be in heaven, (laughs) or you're really not getting to know each other at all. Because the reality is, the more you get to know each other, the more frictions you're going to encounter, which you need to work out within the context of your covenant relationship in order to go on to deeper levels of intimacy. And the call and road to deeper levels of intimacy have pitfalls and stumbling blocks all the way along, which many people don't get beyond. That's why we live in a a disposable relationship society. We get to a certain point with somebody and then realize, you know what, I'm not willing to put up with this. And all it is is the way that they slurp their soup when they're drinking out of the bowl. And so we stop at these seemingly arbitrary points instead of seeking a deeper level of relationship and a deeper level of intimacy. And if you want to get to a place where you have a successful marriage or a successful relationship leading unto marriage, you're going to have to get beyond the pitfalls and get beyond the stumbling blocks in order to get there. And one of the challenges for many is things don't become perfect when you get married. Everybody expects it to be the silver bullet that solves all of your problems. Actually, the marriage covenant is one of the most challenging places because that is where you're most exposed, where somebody knows you the best and you can't run anywhere. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And so marriage is, is one of those places that can be heart-wrenching. It can be challenging. And so it's important that if we're to build successfully, and if you're in that place already, to begin to get a hold of some principles which can enable you to build an intimate relationship, especially within your marriage. And you really, in order to do that, need love at the core. You need this idea of the new covenant to infiltrate and affect every single decision that you make, that Jesus calls us to love one another just as he has loved us. And part of exploring relationship is this idea. How do we begin to resolve conflict? How do we match up our differences? How do we learn to love each other in spite of the the great differences of character and personality that we have? And it's a challenge. Jesus would not have had to give us a command if we were doing this by default. If we were automatically loving people, automatically knew how to walk in this kind of wisdom and revelation, Jesus would have saved his words and said something else. But the reality is we need to put this on on a daily basis. How do we learn to love one another in a meaningful way? This journey, it's about becoming more Christ-like. It's about becoming more fully you, the fullest you that Jesus has created you to be. Now, importantly, understand that this doesn't mean that you become identical Jesuses in a relationship, But you, filled with the Spirit of God, with all of the gifts that God has placed in you, complementing your partner, the one that is also filled with the Spirit of God, and is walking in all of the gifts that God has placed in them, the characteristics, the personality traits that He's placed in them. And this is part of our journey. We are all, as the church, pursuing Christ-likeness. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says that the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding as as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So by the Spirit of God living in you, and bringing out these issues in your life, the challenges that you're facing, the personality and characteristics that you have that aren't quite aligned to God's will for you, being transformed increasingly so that you can bring God glory and become more like Jesus. And one of the interesting things is if we stop to think about um, what has brought us to the place we are right now. Now, there are some aspects of you that are absolutely amazing. That God has put on the inside of you. That God has created. And when other people see you, they really value those things about you. Maybe you have a big heart, maybe you're passionate for Christ, maybe you're a great servant, maybe you're really creative, maybe you're faithful and you're always where God, um, where you you can be serving God. Maybe you always reach out to other people when they're in need. Um, And that's the great values that God has placed on the inside of you, but they can get corrupted. And, And in some of our experience, those values, those gifts, those things that God has placed in us get corrupted to such an extent that they actually are used opposite to the way God intends for them to be used. And so when you're in relationship, often those things will get challenged and brought out. And a lot of that is founded in where you've come from. Now, many people in London come from a, uh, they've left their family behind, they've come from another country, they've moved here, and they've become, in a sense, individuals in a big city, they find the church, they come to the church, they find a new family here in the church, they've got new brothers and sisters, and in some sense, the, the mental disconnect, because now we've left behind the families, means that we find ourselves in a new place, but forgetting, perhaps, where we've come from. I'll give you a more specific example of what I mean. Somebody who's come from a, a home of divorce, where they've seen in the home um, conflict, which has led to a breakdown of relationships. And they've seen how arguments lead to heartbreak and destruction, and they've had to live in the context of watching their own parents separate. They might take on a value because of that experience of, if I ever have an argument with my partner, I know where this is going to go. I know that this is going to end in divorce. And so they have a real aversion to arguments, one of two ways. Either they refuse to have arguments and just accept everything, or... They have one argument and then that's it, they're gone. Because they imagine, we've had an argument, that person must not love me anymore, see you later. That experience, that history, the place we've come from, is beginning to inform the way that we do relationship now. Or maybe you grew up in a a family situation like mine. My, My parents live separately but they're still married. But the interesting thing in my family is we are all stubborn. We all got an opinion. We all got our thoughts on something, and so whenever there's a discussion, somebody might think of it as a a heated discussion or maybe even a conflict because we're used to being very robust with our thoughts, our expression, being direct, this is what we think, deal with it. And so we, we communicate in that kind of a way. And so maybe, maybe that's one of the, well, it's not maybe. That is one of the issues that I've had to deal with, um, in, in especially now stepping into pastoring. I'm still very comfortable with being direct and very comfortable with challenging um, issues in people's lives. But at the same time, I've learned a lot more to be loving in my communication. And so that was something that was affecting some of my history, which was affecting the way that I was speaking to people. And so it's something that in relationship has been dealt with in in such a way that I hope that the general consensus would be that I'm a bit more sensitive than I was before. You can send me emails if you don't think so. Hallelujah. (laughs) So your family, your friends, have greatly shaped you to be who you are today. Don't underestimate the impact of them upon your life. And some of that will be good, and some of that will be bad. Be willing to identify some of the issues that you hold in your heart and deal with them if they don't align to godly uh, vision or, or values for your life. Because you'll find if you don't allow those things to be challenged, if you simply say, this is me, deal with it, you'll find that generally you'll repeat the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And over. Your family, your history are important and understanding what you're going to be needing to bring out before God. I want to give you an example of conflict. Perhaps you grew up in a family situation where um, you had very capable people around you. And so anytime you tried to do something, somebody very capable was standing right next to you, looking over your shoulder. Are you doing this right? Have you done that right? You know, you missed this little detail, you missed that little detail. Hang on, let me do that for you. Take it out of your hands, they go ahead and do it themselves. And then you grow up and you want to do things. You're used to, you know, you've been working for yourself, you're now an adult, you been working in business, you're getting things done, and then somebody comes along, maybe a, a boss that you'll immediately assume is micromanaging, and they come and stand next to you while you're doing something for the very first time, and they're checking, and they're watching how you do things, and they're evaluating, and then they start to give you feedback, and you just freak out, because you're not my dad, what are you doing, and this whole conflict breaks out. Now, that's a work-based scenario, but you could bring that into very easily into a relationship very easily into a relationship where you're just, just about your own business, maybe you're washing the dishes, or maybe you're doing the ironing, or maybe you're cleaning the house, and somebody's standing looking over your shoulder, you missed a spot. <laughs> and you freak out. And it begins to snowball. You know what, you always do this to me. You're always, always checking everything that I do. You're always, always criticizing me. I'm doing my best here right now. Can't you see that? I shouldn't even be doing this cleaning. That's on your rota this week. I should be in the the lounge watching TV. I'm just doing this out of the goodness of my heart. Who do you think you, why do you always give me such a hard time? Well, it's fine. You should be serving me. Aren't you supposed to be my husband? Aren't you supposed to be looking after me? Isn't this the way that we're supposed to be? And you know, you you just, I don't even respect your leadership anymore. (laughs) And it snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. There's an, um, and then that goes, carries on. Two weeks later, that doesn't get dealt with, and you're sitting watching television. Um, I don't have a television, so this is not a personal example. <laughs> but you're sitting watching television, and your partner's sitting watching television, and they reach over and take the control, change the channel, and your blood begins to boil. <laughs> you won't even let me watch TV. You won't even let me want to watch. This is the one program, Match of the Day. It's the one thing that I want to watch. Why are you changing the TV channel? It's this punishment because of the argument we had two weeks ago. You always do this. You always punish me when I think I've done something good for you and then we get into this situation. Now I can't even watch Match of the Day and 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 it's not keeping you happy. And it keeps getting more and more aggressive. Now, how many of you, maybe it's a simple example, but how many of you know that a lot of people operate like that? They never forgive and even more rarely do they forget. And those issues get brought back in on a regular basis into the relationship. And now let's pause that, and maybe um, roll it back to something a bit more positive. So maybe you're sitting down and you're having a serious um, discussion, and maybe you have a, an anger problem, uh, and you know that you have an anger problem, and it's been two or three times that you've expressed something verbally, um, and got a bit aggressive perhaps, And you're now in a place where you're wanting to deal with this problem. So you sit down with your partner and you're like, listen, I need to talk to you about something. You know, this is something that I've really struggled with. I, I, I find that I react in certain situations where I feel like I'm being undermined or I feel like I'm not being taken seriously or I feel like my power or capability is being challenged. And I just really want to let you know about this so that we can start to discuss perhaps some of the situations where that is an issue for me. Now, that's a lot more positive because you've been in a place where you probably have freaked out a couple of times. But now you're beginning to take responsibility for your emotions, take responsibility for your actions, and beginning to try and move forward in a conflict resolution pattern in order to develop a deeper level of intimacy and relationship. So we'll take those as two examples. The first, in a negative example, you'll find that some of the the regular patterns of communication are to violate the other person's personhood. You know, you're no good. I don't respect your leadership. You know, you just never do anything right. That's violating somebody's personhood. It's disempowering them because they um, are in some way being perceived to be attacking you. So you disempower them in order to protect yourself you know what, you're just no good. You just can never get anything right. Look at you. That type of communication is disempowering communication. There's blame being thrown around all over the place. You know, you always do this, you always do that, you always do the other, and it's probably the first time that it's happened. And in that communication, in the dialogue that is going on, there is much sin. In the positive aspect, the positive example I gave, there is the necessity to keep our honor turned on, to empower another, to allow somebody else into our life, to give them an open door where they can begin to speak to us, challenge us, perhaps in the example that I used about an anger issue that you have on the inside. So they are now able to speak into your life. It's empowering them, and you're to take ownership of your responses in that context. So we're going to look at a few simple principles, really, uh, when, when it comes to this. The first is, is this the priority of relationship that God intends. I wanna start this somewhere interesting for us before getting into the specific relational aspect of it. Is that God is interested in divine covenant with you. God is interested in walking in a deep way with you. So much so that he's made a new covenant with you by the shedding of the blood of his son Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews 9.20 it says, That the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you is the blood of Jesus. You have a relationship with God, and God doesn't do something that you're asking Him to do. It might be a critical need. It might be your child is sick, or your partner is sick, or a really close friend is sick. And you have a critical need for that person to be healed or you find yourself maybe in a debt position and you have a critical need for your debts to be sorted out, or you find yourself looking for a job and you have a critical need for your job to be provided for you. And we're saying to God, God, you have to answer this prayer. Now what happens if God doesn't answer that prayer? I've used some critical needs examples, but some of us have some very petty needs that we get offended with God if he doesn't answer them. No, God, I really want to be promoted right now. I need to be promoted tomorrow. Well, you've just started work a week ago, and you're still being trained in your job. No, but I need to be promoted tomorrow. And God didn't give me the job that I wanted. God probably didn't give you the job that you wanted. probably gave you the job that you needed. Difference. But God doesn't do what you want Him to do, and now you're angry with God. Have you ever heard people say this? You're dead to me. I don't even think you exist anymore. Have you ever heard that? Sometimes people often use that within family context. But how often do we do that to God? You know what, God, you don't even exist. I'm not, talk to the hand, God. <laughs> you don't even really exist anymore because you didn't answer my prayer, my needs. I, your Bible says, your word says that he will answer all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Well, I didn't see my needs get met. You know, where's the Mercedes? Mercedes. I'm still driving around in a Prius. God, what's going on? And we begin to violate God's existence on the basis of our perceived need. God, you don't exist just because you didn't answer my prayer. What is that? I'm, I say that because God always exists. God existed before we even exist. God created us. And yet we have this attitude that just because God does something that we don't like, that we're going to write him out of the books, the history books. The challenging thing about God is he's going to be there waiting for us at the end. So really, we have no choice but to sort our relationship with him out. You might spend two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years before you come back to God. Maybe you had legitimate reason for offense in the first place. But at the end of the day, you're still going to have to come back to God because God still is real and desires a relationship with you. Now, the reason that I make that statement is because we need to begin to understand the level of relationships that we can have. And in this society, it has become so easy to have a throwaway relationship, a throwaway marriage. You just go down the divorce courts two, three months, done. That person's not your lifelong partner anymore because they did something that you weren't able to resolve a conflict over. In Scripture, the only one that is given as a valid reason for divorce is sexual immorality. When there is a betrayal at the deepest level of the marriage covenant by going to sleep with somebody else. That's the only one that's permitted for in in Scripture. But we go throw it away on the fact that, you know, the prenup, you know, they told me that they had more. And I thought I was going to get a better deal. There has to be a return to this idea of covenant relationship. And we build towards lifelong covenant relationship in the correct way when we begin to understand the level of commitment that we make to one another at these different levels. At the level of boyfriend, girlfriend, you are making a commitment that you're not going to see anybody else and you're going to pursue the knowledge of one another for that season. Then you come to a time where you're like, we wanna get married, so then you get engaged. And that is then preparation towards marriage in a very real way, in a a more profound way than perhaps you did as boyfriend and girlfriend. There is a greater level of commitment and there has to be a deeper level of communication. But now when you then step into marriage, there has to be a knowledge that this is a covenant relationship that I'm gonna have to work at. Doesn't all get easier when you get to that place, it actually gets more challenging. And the idea of God is that a marriage would be for life until death do you part. That's God's idea. Now, that's a lot of hard work. A lot of hard work. I haven't been there yet, but I will be there soon. Hallelujah. But, all right. And when you start to know that this is the relationship that you have with another person, then something different begins to happen. Honor is restored. Honor is restored when you begin to recognize I am in a relationship with somebody in the marriage covenant who is actually my own flesh. And that means that they have a right to think, a right to speak, a right to have their own view. Even though they're in a relationship with you, they are still an individual, but expressing that in the desire to walk in intimacy with you. And that honor begins to breed a level of commitment to one another, where we walk in unity and deeper intimacy together. Now I want to say this, it's important that we understand that everything I'm saying today and going to be saying from now on in the rest of this little section, is that this is in the context of both of you taking your responsibility for yourself before God. So, if one person has lost the context, lost their connection with God, they've fallen back into sin, they are now becoming violent, physically aggressive, they're abusing you, they are not treating you in the way that God intends for them to treat you, then you need to keep away from that sort of a person. Okay? If you're in a violent and physically violent relationship, I'm not saying this so that you go back into the violence. Okay? Understand what I'm saying. This is in the context of two people walking before God. And walking together. The first thing to do to rebuild after a bust up is this forgiveness. Forgiveness. I wonder do you practice forgiveness? Forgiveness is not forgetting. Because I guarantee you, you forget today, you remember tomorrow when they do something you don't like. (laughs) Forgiveness is practicing. The art of communication around a conflict which has occurred. So say you fall out. It's going back to that place. I need to take ownership for what I said and did wrong. Are you willing to take ownership for what you said and did wrong? I want to tell you that this is how I was feeling in this situation. How were you feeling in that situation? And begin to forgive each other. There is a practice of forgiveness. You can read more about it in R.T. Kendall's books on forgiveness. Never wash over issues that you've not yet dealt with. And once you've forgiven one another, pray together. That restores the standard. It restores the intimacy. It restores the covenant. And something that's challenging about this idea of restoring the standard is you're not seeking to keep resurrecting the past to make someone embarrassed, to bring shame. You know what? You you did this last time. Why would you always do this? What's going on? That's trying to bring shame. It's trying to bring condemnation on somebody when they're trying to walk free. Restore the standard. The next is communicate. In the lead up to the negative example that I gave, a lot of bad communication happened. And bad communication begets bad communication which begets bad communication. And it'll often end in this place, where you get a guy who just says, yeah, fine. And you get a lady who just says, yeah, fine. But those two, yeah, fines, are very, very different. See, because the wife comes home to the husband who's sitting in the chair you know I just had such a rubbish day at work today it's just so difficult and the kids were just giving me hassle and the teacher had to call me from school and and the husband just sat there on a em- match of the day or whatever and just goes yeah fine no emotional engage- engagement no even eye contact yeah fine then half an hour later he walks into the kitchen bang bang Sp- pans, frying pans, food getting sprayed everywhere what's up love? Fine! I'm fine! You see, you have the the two problems. The uncommunicative, non-emotional guy with the emotional lady who's not necessarily being very communicative in that point in time. She's being loud, but she's not communicating. And it's here that we need to begin to bring in some of this Christian principle. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, putting away lying... Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. This is so important. That in this place of communication, God calls each one of us to take responsibility and engage with the truth towards one another. And secondly, that we would not be angry, uh, in our anger that we would not sin. What that says to me is that we can get angry. Is part of the human experience of emotion. But often when we get angry, we start to just let loose and say whatever we think we can say. It's important that when we are seeking to rebuild or keep good communication practice, that we keep honor turned on at all times, that honor seasons our words, that we don't say things that we're gonna later regret, that we don't say things that we're gonna later have to give an account for, and things that we don't necessarily uh, mean. Now for the guy who's challenged with communicating his emotions, It's important that he's given space to express himself. It's important that he's given space so that he can start to clarify what he's thinking. So ask a guy good questions. What's going on for you? How's it going? What are you feeling right now? Can you try and put it into words? Can you try and explain it to me? This other side is that, ladies, if you're trying to tell a guy your problems, understand that he's got a problem. His problem is that he actually wants to help you. His problem is that all he wants to do is help you get things fixed because it's the way that he operates. It's the way that he functions best. And you're probably thinking, I don't want to fix. I just want to tell you what's going on. That place of communication, it's important to understand his motivation. On the other side, the lady needs perhaps to take time to consider the actual emotional experience that she's having. Anger in a specific situation might be related to an emotional hurt somewhere else. He hasn't spent enough time with me recently and then I'm angry at you because you're watching TV instead of talking. Maybe an expression more accurately of I'm really struggling with the fact that we're not getting quality time as opposed to the explosion of glory. And it's important to keep honor on. When the guy is seeking to let his emotions speak, when he's seeking to let you know what's going on for him, keep your honor on because he's probably going to be stumbling over his emotions, probably going to be stumbling to tell you what he's thinking, give him space to express where he's coming from. And the more you practice speaking and clarifying your thoughts and feelings, the more you'll find that you're cultivating and developing intimacy. Another aspect is learning to listen well. Shut up, wait for them to finish talking, then make sure you've heard them correctly. This little gap here is interesting, perceptions. You think you thought you heard them say something when they didn't say that. Maybe repeat back to them what they said. What I've heard you say is this. That you're really frustrated about this situation and it's giving you some emotional feelings and you really don't know how to deal with it just yet, but maybe we can help figure that out. It's a lot more helpful than you just need to, um, you need to take this action, that action, that action. Because you've not listened well, you've assumed something, your perception is imposed upon the way that you're responding. Learn to speak. Learn to listen. Have discussions at appropriate times, not at midnight, because you'll probably have an argument. Learn to manage and take responsibility for your own emotions and for your own responses. It's never somebody else's fault when you begin to open your mouth and say things that you shouldn't be saying. It's not their fault, it's your fault for speaking. You need to wait and say what you actually want to say, not say what you feel to say at that point in time. These are just some practical things on communication. And then learn that the relationship is about cultivating intimacy. Ask each other a great question. Learn to value each other and what is different about the other to you. Value what is said. Ask how the other is feeling not rejecting each other when they don't have a view that's the same as your view. And protect that intimacy as you begin to grow in a relationship value the covenant relationship that you have. Value it to the exclusion of everything else. You know what? Sometimes it goes wrong when people, they, they go into marriage and they go full-blown, full-blooded for a year. The first year, they're spending every night together. And it's, okay, the relationship's fine now. Okay, I'm just going to go spend time with my friends now. Two years later, you're suddenly asking the question, what happened to my great marriage? I'll tell you what happened to your great marriage is you stopped protecting the intimacy that you'd cultivated. Keep building towards that. Keep your quality time together. Keep your communication going on Even if it means that you have to keep other friends at a distance for a season, you do that because it's more important to cultivate and protect your lifelong relationship. And all of that to say is just some few thoughts about building, rebuilding after a bus stop, centering around the fact that we've got to remember our core commitment to one another. Remember that there are things that God is dealing with in us as we walk in deeper relationship and that those issues are dealt with in a place of good communication, owning our responses, walking in increasing intimacy and protecting that intimacy through the way that you guard and protect your life. God wants us to build these lifelong relationships which are covenantal and purposeful and bring Him much glory. Amen. Do we have any questions? Any questions today? No? Yes, sir? (laughs) You need a microphone? Go for it. Do I need to stand up no okay um you mentioned um at the beginning um you said something like um this what you've what what you've just um explained that it doesn't apply to an abusive relationship what you you know that if a partner is um you're not saying that a partner should uh, go back to a relationship where they've been abused could you um, are you saying that what you've what you've gone through does not apply in in those in, the, in that circumstance? Okay, so, or so, could you expound on that? Okay, please? just to expand. Thank you for asking the question for clarification. It's important, then, if it was a bit confusing, that I, I explain it properly. Often it'll be the case if there is an abused partner, and they've left the relationship. You know, it might be that they became a Christian or they became a Christian shortly after they've left the relationship. When they begin to hear about forgiveness about the onus on them to restore the relationship, they might assume that that means that they need to go back to that relationship which was previously abusive. And that would not be the case. Now, they're sensitively trying to honor God. There's a sensitivity of heart. They want to honor God. They want to forgive. They want to do things right. And they make the assumption that that's what we're saying they should do. It's not what we're saying they should do. They should not go back to a violent relationship. Now, if it is the case that that person independently has met with God that God has done a transformative work in their life and now they're walking with him and their their leaders or their brothers and sisters around can verify that they have been changed and you feel the leading of the Lord, genuine leading of the Lord, with wisdom from leaders and friends, that maybe there could be a rebuilt relationship there, that's a different issue. But if that person is still in sin, still violent, hasn't dealt with their issues, because of a sensitivity to God, don't go put yourself under that issue again. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Fantastic. Any others? Give me a wave if you do. Come and find me afterwards if you don't. Yes? No? Why don't you have TV? Why don't I have a TV? <laughs> because I don't believe in wasting time. (laughs) All right, any other questions? All right, fantastic. Thank you so much, you've been amazing.